This is The OK Days, a podcast to change the way we talk about mental health. Conversations are about just that, how we can still find the more than okay. Listen in to hear your story within other shares. Welcome, Nirmala. Thank you for being here. Nirmala is a writer, editor, and personal mythmaker. We first connected through Liberated Life Network, a virtual community to cultivate connection, care, and compassion with Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams, who also co-led our mindful meditation certification and training. Today, we are talking about stories, space, and planting the seeds that get us there. So Nirmala, why don't you uh, start us off and tell us a little bit about your own story? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Eden, for mm-hmm. having me. So, um, yeah, the question of <laughs> my own story, that's mm-hmm. always dependent on what I'm choosing to focus on. So mm-hmm. I often find myself a lot less interested in the story of um, the past and how I came to be here in this particular mm-hmm. place, unless it's a really specific story. Um, mm-hmm. so, so the story that is kind of closest to my heart right now is the story of migration and ancestry and considering everything that happened to get me to where I am right now. That's a really big story. So it can be challenging to just kind of (laughs) pick out certain things. Um, But you know, I think that my story is one of just the coalescing of lots of different stories. Um, Mm. So both of my parents are from India and they had an arranged marriage mm-hmm. and I was born in London, but then I grew up in California. So there is kind of um, the influence of stories in my life has always been really important because stories um, kind of became a way for me to understand myself and to understand mm-hmm. my family and to understand the aspects of our lives that were, um, you know, not always immediately at the surface Um, So growing up in California, I think that I, um, the primary story of my life was one of, um, I guess the, I think of it as as not so much being a burden, but of the experience Mm. of loneliness, the experience of feeling like an outsider in the communities that I was in. And for a variety of different reasons, because Again, the story of I'm gonna I'm gonna keep talking about specific stories and kind of how mm. to interact and make people the you know who they are essentially. Mm. But the story of the American dream mm. is obviously really big. Um, my family moved to the United States um, pretty much at the end of the 70s and the early 80s. I mean, that was the time that was really all about. Um, the accumulation of material wealth. And I think um, especially among immigrant communities um, and the South Asian community, that was something that was really important. You know, the the motif of you, you leave the place where you were from and you start mm-hmm. anew um, in a different place in order to cultivate a better life for your family. Mm-hmm. And, um, and unfortunately that wasn't really, um, a part of my early experience, I think I, I experienced a lot of confusion around this kind of artificial story that had been handed down to my family um, around the expectation of what our lives were supposed to look like. Um, and it didn't look that way. Um, I grew up rel- in, a, in a relatively working class neighborhood. My family was was poor compared to other mm-hmm. um Indian and South Asian people. And there were privileges that I had in other ways. But I think that my, um, my experience of just feeling, um, feeling relatively marginalized, feeling relatively cut off from kind of a a sense of a sense of a community that felt whole and accepting, that has been um, kind of a motif that has has been with me throughout my entire life and and right now in my in my world um as a writer and editor who is helping people to tell their stories um and as someone who's who really um feels it's important to kind of Mm. create new stories in our communities and stories of belonging and Mm. stories of acceptance and acceptance of all parts of who we are and vulnerability. I think that that impetus really comes um, 
from that sense of loneliness that I experienced mm. when I was very young and the desire to live in a world where I felt, um, I felt that my experiences were being represented by mm -hmm. you know, uh, literature and films and, and that kind of thing. And so in many ways, I think that um, my primary story has been one of the experience of loneliness, but also mm. the movement into understanding and belonging and looking at the ways in which um, migration can can create both trauma and new possibilities, um, especially among immigrant communities. And again, that story now is coalescing with a lot of other stories around um, belonging with respect to who are the people who whose lives are accorded value versus those who um, are relatively unseen and invisible and at the margins. And so I say all this because I think that mm -hmm. um, that basis of kind of growing up, feeling like a weird child who didn't really fit <laughs> anywhere. Um, I mean, that's a really archetypal story and it can kind of, it can, it can take on a number of different directions. And I think that mm -hmm. for me, um, the direction it took was a passion for storytelling, um, and telling stories that that usually um, have remained untold or undervalued mm -hmm. and helping to do that. It, because I also think that storytelling is a form of community cohesion. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's not just an individual thing. It's not just like, oh, well, this is a story that means a lot to me. And here's my story. It mm -hmm. is, um, you know, creating space around sort of the collective campfire so that mm -hmm. all of these stories can be heard. Um, and a huge part of my own life is um, looking at the ways that storytelling can create community healing um, mm -hmm. and transformative justice and new opportunities for connection. Mm. Yes, be beautifully said. Wow, what a way to, to start this episode. And thank you so much for sharing. I know that like first question is a big one to start <laughs> with and I ask it every time and I get such cool answers. So. Um, thank you for starting us off with that. Um, on this podcast, I'm really trying to change the way we kind of talk about mental health. And I'm wondering, do you see a connection of stories and storytelling with mental health as well? Oh, that's such a wonderful question. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I will, I will say, um, you know, in all transparency, I, um, I come from a family that has, has really struggled with um, mm. a variety of different mental health issues. Um, my father has dementia. Um, and we also recently found out in the past few years um, that he most likely was living with schizophrenia for mm. almost his entire life. But that was something that was um, undiagnosed until, oh. um, until it was evident that he was, um, that that he had signs of dementia. So mm -hmm. that um, I think that's really significant because this experience of um, being in a family where talking about mental health is something that is stigmatized, um, mm -hmm. or where people don't receive the um, the help and the support that they need because mental health issues remain undiagnosed or misinterpreted mm -hmm. um, or kind of swept to the wayside. Um, that was something that impacted my entire life. I mean, it had huge impact on me growing up um, because my, my father was just an incredibly difficult and abusive person. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that, that this understanding, this new awareness of, okay, well, a lot of, a lot of his behaviors were not just the behaviors of, you know, a, a typical dysfunctional and abusive parent, they were the behaviors of someone who was um, in his own way crying out for help that he actually never received. And I think I've been, um, I've been looking at this pattern incredibly deeply um, within, within my family of origin, because I mean, I grew up with stories about like the the crazy great aunts and the ones who had all these like issues and the way that they were framed. Um, sadly, the way that they were framed was almost as um, these, these were people who were seen as um, 
as I mean, they were definitely marginalized, but they mm. often kind of bore the brunt of family jokes. And I, I find that mm. to be an incredibly unfortunate way of um, sharing the stories of, of people mm. who may have mental health issues or, um, you know, they're, they're neurodivergent and they express themselves in, in ways that are not understood or accepted by the family. So I, I do believe that in reclaiming the stories of the people who've been marginalized within our communities, within our families of origin, and also um, reframing those stories. So uh, the story that I have now, it feels, and I should say that it feels very vulnerable to talk about my father's schizophrenia, because there's still that, um, you know, there is still this kind of, at least below the surface, there is still mm -hmm. a stigma around discussing um, the mental health of the people that we're closest to. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm hoping that in talking about it, and already I've experienced that in talking about it, um, I've had people come to me and particularly people in the South Asian community and say, you know mm -hmm. what, um, I've experienced the same thing or something really similar. And mm -hmm. I just haven't really had the means of talking about it. Um, mm -hmm. So I feel that the stories that we share when they're very vulnerable, when they're very honest, when they're about um, revealing the truth of who we are without shame, but with a desire mm -hmm. for understanding and acceptance, um, that can really shift the ways in which we, we think about our collective stories. And in this case, the collective story that has to do with um, mental health issues in the South Asian community. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I should also say, since I didn't mention this before, um, I am a theater artist on top of everything mm -hmm. else I do. Mm -hmm. And one of my great passions is community participatory theater. And I've been a practitioner of something called playback theater for a number of years now. And playback theater is essentially a modality um, where an ensemble of actors, um, they, they basically get together um, within a community and through um, improvisation, they, they tell the stories of people who are in the audience. Um, so you have someone who's known as a conductor and they will invite someone from the audience to come up and share a story. And that story is usually connected to some kind of um, theme that is putting, the, you know, that is putting the entire performance into um, its framework. And that experience is so powerful because when, mm -hmm. when people think about theater, they think of it as something that you know, the actors are on a stage and they're acting out a play that already exists and the people who are in the audience are passive spectators. But this is really an experience of discovery and it's an experience where the audience is actively participating in the creation of this experience overall. Mm -hmm. And it's really, um, it's really powerful for people to be able to share their stories. Often these are stories they've never told anyone and to be witnessed and then to actually see their story enacted by a group of actors. I mean, it is, it is incredible to be a part of whether you're in the audience or whether you're the person who is performing. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, just recently I have connected with um, a playback practitioner who is in India and she's been doing a whole lot of work around um, bringing stories about mental health and mental illness mm. um, into the arena of playback theater. And I think what's so special about this experience of inviting the stories of audience members is that, you know, oftentimes we don't have an opportunity to tell our stories unless someone is really intentional about asking us about our stories. And, you know, even in casual situations, <laughs> the extent yeah. to which we're asked about our stories is, well, what do you do for a living? As if mm -hmm. our job and our livelihood defines who we are. But we're mm -hmm. often not asked the kinds of probing questions that really allow us to be vulnerable. So playback does that in a really beautiful way. And I think it's really incredible when it comes to disarming people of their defenses and actually mm -hmm. giving them the kind of safe and brave space to talk about things that um, that might be taboo. So I'm hoping that um, 
at some point I'll be able to collaborate with this um, with this woman in India because she's incredibly talented. I think she's doing some some powerful and important work, and she's really highlighting how um, the stories that we tell are actually a catalyst for transformation. And that transformation begins with our perceptions. And of course, mm. our perceptions are couched in the stories that we tell ourselves and the stories we receive from the culture around us. Um, so storytelling can be a really incredible and eye-opening first step towards um, the change that we wanna see. Mm. Wow, I just want to continue to say thank you because you are, sharing such powerful, intimate things. And that you said it yourself, like that's how we change the way we talk about mental health. We, we yeah. talk about it and someone else is going to hear their story within, other, with our share, within our shares. We just have to be brave and vulnerable, vulnerable enough to do so. And that's exactly what you're doing here. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh. Um, I think you said it really powerfully too um, about well, I also think of story, storytelling and mental health with like the stories that I tell myself um, that no one else knows about. They're in my head, but that impacts my mental health. And when I, you know, journal or put it on a piece of paper, I get to rewrite it and reframe it and look at it a little differently. Um, I actually recently took a writing class and it was all about writing about mental health and turning these personal stories into universal shares and turning like I into we. Yeah. How do you do that in your own writing, whether it's about mental health or anything else? Um, how do you do that? Mm. <laughs> That's such a great question. So the question is about how do you turn I into we? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I think first of all, it's, it's really, um, it can be really important and cathartic to actually begin with one's own experience, mm. um, to tap into the specificity of one's experience without immediately moving to make connections with kind of the larger mm. cultural milieu and things that are happening to other mm. people. Often, I actually think that the stories that touch us the most and that leave the greatest mark are the ones that are about specificity mm -hmm. and detail. And, and, and sometimes I think that there are writers who, um, and I've experienced this because I, I work as a book coach and I work with a lot of mm. writers who might say things like, well, you know, I want everybody to pick up my mm. book and read it. I want everyone to get something out of it. And there's often a, a hesitation around doing something like um, identifying a target audience because that feels mm. really limiting. And people really have the desire to jump to, to want to jump into um, that kind of more universalist experience. But I think that I come from the perspective that um, we, it's not up to someone, it's not up to a writer to mm -hmm. make those connections for their reader. What, it, what mm -hmm. the writer's job, and I think this is true for the storyteller as well, is to write something with as much detail, vulnerability, honesty and integrity as they possibly can. And the way that that is received, and in many ways, that's something that is outside of our control. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it is, it is the truthfulness and the fidelity um, that we have to our experience that creates the universal connection. So if mm -hmm. I'm sitting and trying to write something that, um, you know, touches the hearts of other people or meets their expectations, mm -hmm. I know that I've, I've already doomed myself to failure because I've mm -hmm. taken myself out of the equation. So, and it's mm -hmm. also just not a very binary thing. I mean, right. I do believe that we can, we can pay attention to and be sensitive to the collective within our work. And for me, writing is an act of realization. So I, usually, and this is connected to the work that I do um, as a meditation teacher and mm -hmm. as someone who, um, who really helps people to tap into their creativity. But I do believe that, you know, we can have an intention about what it is we want to share. But for me, the most powerful aspect of writing is when we tap into it as an act of discovery. When I sit down and I write something and I have this idea of what's going to come up. And actually this came up for me um, 
this morning because every morning I, I journal about the dreams that I dreamt mm. before that I can remember. So I was sitting there thinking, okay, I'm journaling about this dream. And then <laughs> on the page, suddenly there came up this recognition that just about, you know, it made me like <laughs> stop in my tracks. And I was like, oh my God, I have never made that connection in my life before. Mm. And the way that I made that connection was it, it, it was, you know, allowing my expectations to be defied. So I think that there is a kind of receptivity that we have to allow and welcome when we're sitting down to write. And that Mm. is not about trying to be vulnerable. It is not about trying to write a story that is going to um, appeal to and touch the hearts and minds of multiple Mm. audiences. It is about staying in the present, staying Mm. with ourselves, and tapping into that current that connects us to the deeper truths. And that requires mm-hmm. patience, which is something that, um, you know, we, we could really use a lot of in, <laughs> yes. in, our, in our culture today. <laughs> we have multiple distractions that take us away from that, um, that capacity to really be with ourselves. But I do think mm-hmm. when we touch into that, you know, that to me um, is connected to the experience of, um, witnessing beautiful art or reading a poem that brings Mm. tears to your eyes or, you know, really opens up this, this way of perceiving the world that, um, Mm. that suddenly creates more possibilities. I think when we have Mm. those experiences with art, it's because the artist allowed themselves to kind of go into this almost mystical state. And the funny thing is the mystical state isn't all that mystical. It's pretty (laughs) mundane. It requires Mm -hmm. being patient, sitting with ourselves, being with ourselves, being present, cultivating a practice of compassionate noticing. And I do think that it's when we do that, that, that is actually what takes us from I to we. Yeah. Yeah, letting the like the art, the the whether it's writing or uh, a poem, whatever it is, like do the do the work, do the do the speaking, and and do the connecting. So yeah, thank you so much for for like bringing that um, to light. I um I first was introduced to you. I said this a little bit before, but in your meditation and writing classes with Infinite Field sessions, mm-hmm. uh, I would love for you to talk even more about those because. I love them. And I know we're like, you're breaking a little for the summer, rightfully so you're back in September. Um, and I, I just can't wait to continue to participate in those because I have found a very powerful experience of meditating and then writing. I feel like when I meditate, I um, am observing what's going on. And when I write it out right after I get to put it somewhere and I get to see it or I get to put it somewhere and never look at it again or read it again. It's like up to me. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about those sessions and how you see that connection between meditation and free writing. Yeah. Thanks so much, Eden. I'm I'm (laughs) glad that you've been enjoying those sessions. They've been a real pleasure for me too. And Mm. actually something of a surprise because I, um, I basically started offering um, the infinite field practice in, um, Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams Liberated Life Network mm. um, in early April of 2020, I believe. And mm. that was um, that was when the community was a lot smaller, like just a <laughs> lot more intimate. And, um, and there was this kind of collective awareness of like, wow, we are about to enter into what is probably going to be an incredibly challenging, um, but also incredibly revelatory time which of course we did because over the last year or so, um, I mean, there's so many things that have occurred that have really shaken mm-hmm. us to our core. Um, mm-hmm. That includes the pandemic. It includes the, the racial justice uprisings and so many mm-hmm. things that are happening in our world today um, that, I, that I think have um, rightfully given people cause for concern, but also this desire to, um, to tap into what is eternal and what is beautiful, what is worth mm. salvaging. And so kind of with that awareness, I, um, you know, I'm, I don't consider myself a meditation teacher, although I've started mm. using that term a lot more <laughs> like, Oh, well, I, that's what I've been doing. And um, mm. I've been, um, I've been a practitioner of Vipassana meditation for the past 21 years. 
Um, wow. So I started when I was um, when I was pretty young, and I came into um, I came into meditation because of the fact that I was um, in a state of suffering in my life. I, mm. I you know, I, I've dealt with um, periods of chronic depression, and mm. and you know, meditation really is something that saved my life. And I'm not saying mm. that in the way that it's like, wow, meditation, revolutionary and instant, mm. you know, instant rewards. It was not instant rewards. This was mm. a process of, you know, this was a process of trial and error and commitment and recommitment that has taken me decades and I'm still learning. I'm still growing from it. So, mm. and, and of course, you know, um, Rev Angel is an incredible educator <laughs> and mindfulness teacher. Um, and she's been a huge influence on me. So I, I started doing the sessions out of a desire to just really give something back. And mm. the community felt really um, like the perfect place to do it. It was extremely welcoming. And, you know, in the beginning, I thought, well, you know, maybe I can do something around meditation and creativity and the creativity part comes mm. from my work as a book coach and helping people through their own creative process. Um, and so it kind of just started as an experiment. I thought, we'll mm. see what happens and we'll see who comes. And so I started offering those sessions on a weekly basis. And then I was just, um, I was just floored by the response mm. I got because every week I would see more people and new faces and, um, just the, the sincerity and the vulnerability that people brought into those sessions opened my heart. Mm. And, um, I was really impacted as well. I mean, some of the most, um, some of the most meaningful writing that I've done has come out of those sessions that I created. And it really helped me recognize that even though this was a new offering in a way, um, I had been doing that work of combining my meditative practice with my creative practice for um, many years without even knowing it. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's not as if I should say that all of my writing does not necessarily come from sort of that receptive. I think of it as being um, I believe in in Japanese Zen, it's known as Satori, like that moment mm. of revelation and sort of the moment of enlightenment and illumination mm. that can come from just like an instant. Um, and it's like, you know, the portals open and <laughs> everything comes pouring in. Um, I've had those moments. That is not often my experience. So um, combining the, the meditation and the free writing for me, um, was a way to drop back into those moments. And not, you know, not necessarily because I am, you know, telling people that they're gonna, they're gonna attain enlightenment mm -hmm. if they meditate and then they write. But I think again, <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of like what I was saying before. I do believe that these mystical states that we think of as, as enlightenment are actually not that mystical. They are mm -hmm. a part of our, um, they're a part of our humanity. They're a part of who we are. And, you know, some of the most mystical states that, um, you know, sages and poets and artists have described come from the simple act of observation. And meditation, again, it is about observation and it's about this um, intense and compassionate capacity to just be with ourselves. And in mm -hmm. many ways, um, creativity is no different. And so in the sessions that I offer, as you know, what I typically do is I'll offer a guided visualization or meditation, mm -hmm. um, and that will vary in terms of what it looks like. And then right after that, I'll offer um, a reading from usually a poet and mm -hmm. then um, a writing prompt. And the prompt is, is a suggestion that it's something that people can take to anchor them in whatever it is they'll be writing. And the idea about free writing, um, just in case people are not familiar with free mm -hmm. writing, is that you are not dictating what comes out of your pen. You're writing longhand, mm -hmm. you're responding to the prompt, and oftentimes you'll start to make associations with other things in your life. So mm -hmm. um, I know that free writing has been really a liberatory practice for me. And I do think it's a liberatory practice just in general, because um, 
as a writer, you know, I definitely come from a background in which I was, you know, compelled to read um, the canonical works of mostly like white male authors who sort of mm. represented the apex of literary artistry. And, um, you know, we're very limited in terms of who our models are when it comes to writing, because a lot of times mm. the people who receive visibility and accolades, you know, they've gone through institutions, through MFA programs. And so what mm. I really want to offer is that when we access our writerly voices, it isn't about trying to be like somebody else. It isn't about trying to emulate a particular way of writing. It is about dropping into the deep and raw truth that is present for us, that is arising in this moment. And I think that so often um, we're conditioned, and I think we're conditioned by a lot of different things like white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism um, to, to not... Um, to not allow ourselves to go to those places, to kind of neglect mm. our instincts, our better instincts. And, you know, a lot of our responses, um, even when it comes to writing and art are conditioned responses. So for me, the free writing is a way to kind of bypass those conditioned responses, mm. to tell ourselves, you know what, what I'm writing may be complete <laughs> and absolute shit, and that is not the point. I am not going to judge myself. I mm. am going to open, I'm going to allow myself to sit here. And I know that just by doing that, just by compassionately being with myself, a portal will open. And Elizabeth mm. Gilbert writes about this in her book, Big Magic, but she talks about how, um, you know, one of the major responsibilities that a writer has, and when I'm talking about a writer, I mean, anybody. <laughs> because mm -hmm. we all have capacity. Yeah. We all we all have creative gifts. Um, mm -hmm. And all of us have the capacity to, to write in this kind of unmediated way that I'm talking about. Mm. So Elizabeth Gilbert talks about how our responsibility is to just show up and then the mm. muse will come and meet us at the mm. table. And that is really all we have to do. We don't have to figure out everything in advance. Um, and this mm. is often what I tell my, um, my clients, you know, like who, who get so anxious when they think, oh my God, I'm going to write mm -hmm. a book. Like I can't even imagine that feels so big. And it really is about continuing to show up, continuing mm -hmm. to remain open. And in this case, you know, free writing, there isn't, there's a prompt that I give, mm -hmm. people, but there isn't a goal. It doesn't have to look a certain way. It doesn't have to be anything in particular. Um, and I can't tell you just like how, how many people have come to me, particularly in the last year and who've said, you know what? I never considered myself a writer. I was always so scared of writing and this has opened mm -hmm. up a door to um, so many joyful experiences of reclaiming my voice and of recognizing I have something important and powerful to say. And I just have to give myself the space to do that. Um, so I do think that meditation, because um, especially with the kind of meditation that I offer, I really, um, I really place a lot of importance on self-compassion. So it's not about like, okay, come and meditate and be in sort of a stiff, upright posture and don't move. Right. I think there's a lot of permission to feel and experience whatever is present. And I, and in that sense, I mean, I really um, have, have tried my best to make my meditations as trauma informed as possible because mm. I understand. And especially in the last year, I've worked with a lot of people who, um, you know, have experienced a reactivation of trauma or just even sitting mm -hmm. with trauma that might be present for them in this particular moment. And that, um, that is not an easy process. It, so none mm -hmm. of this, none of this is necessarily easy, even when people no. talk about like, it's just about being present. Um, well, it has taken me like many, many years to even get to a place where I can just allow myself mm -hmm. to be present. And even then that is not, that is not a continuous state. So this process, the, the meditative process, the creative process is mm -hmm. just about continuously coming back to this moment this moment, I'm not worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not worried about mm -hmm. writing my book or everything that it's going to take to, to make that happen. All I'm, all I'm really allowing myself to experience is this moment. 
So it's continuously mm-hmm. coming back, continuously bringing yourself back. And that does have, um, that does have long-term impacts. And it, again, mm-hmm. I, I really, um, I really feel like my work is about kind of the intersection between, between what I guess people would call spirituality, although that's like mm-hmm. a very vague term, um, creativity and social justice. And Rev Angel mm-hmm. talks about this a lot, but when we are disembodied, when we are distracted, when we're in our heads, planning, planning, planning mm-hmm. a lot, um, that in many ways robs us of our humanity. It makes mm-hmm. it, it opens up the potential for dehumanization of ourselves and other people. So the liberatory practice to me is about reclaiming our, you know, what gets to have our attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and really that's, you know, that's where the present moment comes in. It's being with mm-hmm. ourselves as we are right now, um, mm-hmm. rather than, than being disembodied because when we are disembodied and, you know, there are a lot of wonderful, um, somatics teachers who talk about the connection between disembodiment and, um, and injustice and white supremacy Mm -hmm. and the ways in which when we kind of remove ourselves from our present moment experience, which is an embodied experience that, Mm -hmm. um, that removes our capacity for connection and that connection Mm -hmm. is to ourselves and to other people. So um, I know we're kind of getting off track here, but all of this is to say that this is a practice that I think really is about reclaiming our humanity, reclaiming Mm -hmm. our right to have connection with our bodies and with, you know, other people. Um, And in that sense, I, I do think, I do think it's a revolutionary kind of experience when people, mm-hmm. um, when people open up to that, to, to that connection between, between meditation and creative practice. And, you know, it doesn't, mm-hmm. for me, it's writing just because I've, I've been a writer since I was seven years old, mm-hmm. um, but it can be anything. It can be, you know, can be weaving, it can be crocheting, it can be making music or visual mm-hmm. art or, you know, whatever it is for, for whoever's doing it. Hmm. In um, one of your meditations that I recently experienced, you said one of your first um, words that you said was that this is an opportunity to step into our inner world. Um, and I loved that. I, I that stuck with me since you said it. I I've like started to incorporate it into my own yoga classes because that's what this is. We're stepping into our inner world and we're creating that inner sanctuary, what we need and I could just listen to everything you're saying forever. My goodness. Um, I love everything you're saying. I am curious, how did you name these sessions infinite fields? And I was like preparing to ask you that question. And so I was thinking about it a little bit more and on your website too. And I was reading more about what you do as a storyteller and, and as a book coach is talking about these stories and space and, you know, mm-hmm. something about planting seeds that get us there. So I, I I thought of that with infinite field. So I'm wondering how you came up with that name. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I first called these sessions. I was, <laughs> I was totally at a loss as to what to call yeah. them. And actually back then I didn't even know that this would be something that would continue and that would have different mm. manifestations. Cause I've, I've also done, you know, like half day retreats and clothing mm-hmm. for BIPOC women. Um, so back then, when I first started out, I was just like, I'm just going to call it meditate, right? And refuel because I was like, mm. that's, that's the opportunity to, yeah, I want to give people um, mm-hmm. doing it in the early mornings. So I was thinking, oh, this could be a nice hour long experience for people to meditate, right? And mm-hmm. sort of pick up the energy that's going to carry them through the rest of the day. Mm. And then over time, I just thought, you know what, that's a little bit boring and it doesn't really <laughs> describe um, what I think is happening. So when I think about the infinite field, um, you know, I think that my first inspiration was uh, there's a Rumi poem um, and you might be familiar with it, like the idea that mm. beyond right doing and wrongdoing, there is a field and I'm totally mm. blanking on like, it's a very short poem and I don't mm. remember the, the the entire poem, but the idea is that there is a field that exists and it's not a physical field. It's a metaphorical mm. field. It's, it's, it's a mystical field, but we can go into that place. And when we do that, um, we step away from so many of the harmful binaries that 
kind of live in the world around us, like mm. ideas of good and bad and black and white and all of these things that serve to kind of separate ourselves from who we are and mm. you know, from from sort of the, the the world as a whole. We forget our interconnectedness. So mm. I think of this field as, um, I mean, in many ways, I connect it to the realm of dream because dreams are actually a really important source for my own creativity. Like I mentioned mm. earlier, I write about my dreams. I'm a very vivid mm. dreamer and I write about them in the morning <laughs> and then, you know, they'll come up in all these strange ways. So when I think of the infinite field, I think of dreams and synchronicities and deja vu and all of these all of these things that occur that we can't fully explain and i think of that as being the place in which spirit in which creativity in which creative practice really flourishes so when we allow mm. ourselves to go into that field where putting down our you know our expectations of what's going to happen we're actually surrendering to the unknown so the infinite mm. field for me is kind of that terrain of the unknown, but it is where all potential, all possibilities arise from. So mm -hmm. that is something, I mean, just that that metaphor is, I think, one that's been with me for a really, um, for a really long time. And actually, um, mm -hmm. I also practice a modality called family constellations, which is a form of um, narrative healing that involves um, storytelling and connecting with are not just our stories, but the stories of our families and the stories of trauma that we might have experienced. And it involves um, people who are witnesses and who are willing to enter into something that is called the field and mm. to um, play out a particular role or character for the person um, for whom the constellation is happening. So even just words like that, mm. like family constellations, it makes me think mm -hmm. of you know, constellations of stars and also the notion that there's this field that is created when people come together and have mm. the intention for healing. Um, that is also the field and it's not separate from you mm. know the field of the unknown. Um, so I think that for me, the connection to the potential for healing um, you know, what, what comes to, what happens when a group of people, um, you know, many of whom don't even know each other come together right. and have this shared experience, they're entering into the field. Um, mm. it's not really something that can be explained in, in words, even though we're talking about it now, <laughs> it is, um, to me, it is a metaphysical and spiritual experience. And again, mm -hmm. a totally mundane experience, one that we, right. one that we have all the time, um, but that we, you know, that we don't really necessarily stop to think about. Um, mm -hmm. And we certainly don't stop to think about the idea that this field is, um, it is kind of the, um, it is the field of our intrinsic interconnectedness. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know what field you're talking about. Like yeah. I so see it as, as you're speaking. And I remember in one of your meditations, you had eventually prompted us about, um, we were like in a path. I don't remember exactly, but I remember you asked us to like visualize an animal in front of us or like along the way. And you mm -hmm. said like, stick with the first animal that you see. I was like, okay. So first I think I saw like a tiger or something like that. But then I saw like a bunny rabbit and you had said like stick with the first one you saw, but I saw both so mm -hmm. clearly and it was in this space that I was in outside of the meditation, outside of the field of knowing that I can be both like fierce and strong like a tiger and then soft like a rabbit mm -hmm. or a bunny and yeah. it was this powerful experience and that's the field to me, that's the field. So yeah. thank you for, <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, I want to hear where, where can we find you? How can we work with you? Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, again, like you mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm taking a brief hiatus from mm -hmm. my infinite field offerings and I will be back in September. Mm -hmm. um, and I also, my, my plan is to continue to do four hour half day retreats, yes. um, which mm -hmm. will happen pretty much around the solstices and, and the equinoxes. Mm -hmm. um, 
But I also am, do plan to offer one on Halloween, which happens to be on Sunday this year, because I just find, um, you know, like the notion of a time like Halloween, where like the veil mm -hmm. worlds open up, I just think that creates so much potential for creative discovery. Mm -hmm. um, so my website has some information people can mm -hmm. add it to my people can add themselves to my mailing list if they want to find mm -hmm. out more about that. Um, and my website is um, nirmalanatraj.com. It's just mm -hmm. my first and last name. Um, and in terms of in terms of working with me, you know, it, I've had a really interesting experience um, mm -hmm. in the last year or so where um I mean, one thing I should say is that I am not on social media at all. I deleted mm. all my social media accounts in 2017. I think, you know, just oh, wow. speaking of mental health, that was something that was really important for me to do because it yeah. was not bringing me any joy whatsoever. It wasn't bringing me any connection mm. either. And so with the work that I do now, um, I work with both institutions and individuals and, uh, and, and it ranges from, you know, book coaching and creativity coaching to editing and ghostwriting. Um, mm. Lately, I've really been taking a lot more, taking on a lot more facilitator roles and particularly mm. with respect to um, organizations that might be experiencing conflict and particularly mm. around um, issues of racial justice and, um, you know, organizations that really desire to be taking on a more active role in the important conversations that are kind of unfolding in mm -hmm. our societies. Um, so kind of as a result of all of that, I am really, I am basically all uh, like uh, all tapped out sounds like my energy is, mm -hmm. all gone, which is not true. I'm, I'm excited about the work I'm doing and I really love mm -hmm. it. Um, but I'm actually not taking on any clients, mm. any individual clients or organizational clients right now, because I have um, a lot of the work that I do tends to be deep work. And so I'm working mm. with people for um, a period of months or even years um, as they're, as they're attempting to, you know, develop organizational strategies or as they're mm. working on the process of writing a book or multiple books. Um, so for that reason, my, the work that I do is, is fairly intensive Mm -hmm. I have kind of a handful of clients, but I've, I've been thinking about just ways to um, create offerings that can meet a lot of different people. And I think at this mm -hmm. point, the infinite field um, is that offering, but in terms yeah. of how to work with me, otherwise I'm, I'm one of those um, freelancers who can now, you know, <laughs> very mm -hmm. fortunately say like my, my schedule is totally booked. So yes. <laughs> really that's awesome. Yeah, it's that that is that is really liberating because um, I also yeah. have this wonderful experience of, um, you know, being able to say yes only to the things that I really want to say yeah. yes to. So mm, that's how amazing is that? So congratulations! I'm yeah, so happy you. that um, we got to speak today. That I got to pick your brain a little more and, and share all these wonderful things that you shared. And I do have one last question for sure. you. It's the same last question that I ask all my um, guests. What inspires you to be even more than okay? Mm, that's such a great question. And <laughs> you sent me that question earlier. It's like, what, what is it? Um, <laughs> yeah. What inspires me to be even better than okay? Mm -hmm. And I feel like I have, I have multiple responses to that yeah. question. Um, and I, you know, for me, it really comes back to the simple pleasures. I know that sounds mm -hmm. a little bit cheesy, but there mm -hmm. are so many, there are so many simple pleasures that I get to have. Um, I, mm -hmm. I live with the love of my life and our mm -hmm. house in the woods, um, right <laughs> by the Hudson River. We have incredible natural beauty around us. Um, and I think that that for me has always been a touchstone, the experience mm -hmm. of beauty that lives right in my surroundings mm -hmm. is a reminder of just the, um, the incredible abundance that is always available to us. And it makes me mm -hmm. think of, um, you know, uh, the intrinsic goodness and, and, and Buddhism, mm -hmm. you know, this is, uh, there's the concept of our Buddha nature um, mm -hmm. And this idea that there is this deep well of goodness from which we mm -hmm. all draw. 
And for me, there are so many reminders of that in my day-to-day life. So mm-hmm. I think that just, you know, doing something as simple as taking a walk outside mm-hmm. in my neighborhood and, you know, connecting with the trees or even just taking some time to relish my cup of tea in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are, there are little luxuries that I afford mm-hmm. myself that I used to always think were frivolous. Um, but I am somebody who has a strong, um, a strong response to beauty. So, you know, ensuring that mm-hmm. my surroundings and I, I have, um, Taurus is in my astrological chart in quite a few places. Mm-hmm. So I'm very much drawn to um, experiences of, you know, that are, that are essentially sensual pleasures and, you know, just mm-hmm. velvety textures in my environment, fresh flowers, things that enable me to really, um, to really feel alive. So for me, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's moving towards what makes us feel the most alive. And again, um, we live in, we live in a culture and a society that tells us that our joy is secondary. Our joy is secondary to things like obligation and productivity mm-hmm. and making more money. Um, but for me, joy is something that, you know, when we feed it and the more we feed it, the more we become who we truly are. And Mm -hmm. so I, I feel like, you know, making room for joy, allowing ourselves the pleasures and the luxuries that enable us to say, you know what, I feel alive. I feel great. Like that is something Mm -hmm. that more and more of us should be doing. So, Mm. yeah. Yeah. Not cheesy at all. That was beautifully said. And I have these moments too, when I'm, know walking to my apartment or walking to work and I'm just looking around I'm not in the woods I'm very much in a city but I look around and I see all these people and they're just trying their best to and they just are yeah they just want what we all want we all want the same thing we want to be seen we want to feel love and that that brings me um joy too so thank you for sharing that thank you for sharing your story um I, I can't wait to continue to share it too Yeah, thank you so much, Eden. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for listening to The OK Days. Like what you heard? Rate, review, and click to subscribe. Share with your friends so we can continue to find ways to talk about mental health. And for more, follow The OK Days or learn more at theokdays.com. Music by Keon Music. I'm your host, Eden, and I'll see you soon.